Welcome to The Details with Elliot Connie and Adam Frower. This is a podcast where we examine the intersection between solution-focused brief therapy and current topics going on in the world. And we do this because we genuinely want the world to be a better place. So enjoy and come examine the details with us. Okay, so here we are again. And I swear, Adam, when we conceptualize this podcast, this is not supposed to be a podcast about like racism, white privilege, social location, Black Lives Matter. Like this is not supposed to be a podcast about social justice per se. This is supposed to be about the intersection of current events and the work that we do in the solution-focused brief therapy field. However, <laughs> we have had yet another unarmed black man shot. And, and this was funny, right? So I found out about this shooting. I got a text message from a friend of mine saying there's been another shooting. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of like numb to it at this point. And she told me where I could see the video. And I said, I don't want to see this video. Like, I'm, I'm good. I said, you know, I'm... Thanks for letting me know there's been another shooting, but I'm out on watching this video. And several hours later, I'm on Facebook, because every day after we go to Facebook and respond to hundreds of comments on my Facebook page. And as I'm on Facebook, I see the video and I, I didn't even click play. It just like auto played. And I see a police officer holding a man by the shirt and then dumping seven shots into his back. And I couldn't believe what I was watching. I was like, this is crazy that this is happening right now. And in the, in the meantime, which is kind of what I want to get into here, is subsequent to that, like they're going through this man's background to paint him in the most negative light possible to justify those actions. And all I can say is, I don't care. Doesn't matter to me what his warrants were, if there were warrants. In that moment, he was walking towards his car, you grabbed his t-shirt, you shot him in the back seven times. There are lots of videos and lots of evidence that when white people are arrested, they're arrested with a level of dignity. The greatest example is when Dylan Roof was arrested after shooting nine people in a church while armed, uh, the police took him to Burger King and they did not shoot him in the back. So I watched this video and then I watched what happens all the time is people find the negative things out about a person to justify the actions of this police officer. And then even after that, a 17-year-old white person drives or gets driven, as it were, from Illinois to Wisconsin, crosses state's lines with a like AR-15, like a military-grade automatic weapon, and shoots three people, killing two of them. And he gets, to, he like walks by police officers and goes home. And he is able to like have dinner that night in his home. He's able to sleep in his own bed that night. He's subsequently arrested the next day. And I just saw today that the president praised him as a patriot. How is this possible? One of the things, this bothers me on three levels I'm going to talk about here. Number one, if we praise people who engage in this level of activity, we're inciting further experiences like this. We're igniting people who are radicalized in this way to continue to do behaviors that put us all at risk. Number two, we're not holding people accountable to like inherent goodness and lawfulness because we can't say that this, this black man broke laws and rules, so thus it was justified that we murdered him or he, he's still alive, but we shot him. 
But the white guy, he's too young to own that weapon, so he's illegally, illegally in possession of that weapon. You're not allowed to carry that sort of weapon across state lines, and you're not allowed to just shoot innocent people. But he was doing it for a good cause, so we're going to call him a patriot. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, we're not holding people accountable in an appropriate way. And then the third thing, it really irks me as a member of the solution-focused community because we spend so much time talking about how you have to be intentional about the way you view and talk to people. And it's just so clear that there's such a deep-seated level of people who are just motivated to look at brown people and black people through a negative lens, and there's nothing we can do to escape that negative lens. And you and I are currently engaged in a professional body where we've been taking these things on in a serious way over the last month, and it has not gone smoothly. In fact, one aspect of it has been shockingly odd as many people who were told that this was a part of this professional body, instead of going through the exercise of talking about race and privilege, they just decided not to be a part of this professional body, which all of this just dumbfounds me. I mean, you covered a lot of ground there, so I'll respond to, I'm sure, parts of it, but not all of it. But I think just starting with how we view one another. And I think you mentioned right at the beginning, right? This podcast wasn't supposed to be about white privilege. It wasn't supposed to be about oppression and discrimination, at least in an overt, ongoing way. But it seems that that is what continues to come up. And you know what, Adam, like to that point, and, and I'm very proud of this podcast because we have decided we're going to take on the hot button issues. Tomorrow, if somebody breaks into the Dallas Zoo and kidnaps a giraffe, then that's what we'll talk about. Like, we'll talk about current events, but this is what's happening in the world, and I have no desire to shy away from it. Yeah, and I agree. And I think, I think part of why we have decided to take this on, and I think you highlighted this as well, is that we really want to hold each other accountable. And I think that that goes just at the personal level, me and you, we want to hold each other accountable throughout this process. But I think also this podcast, we want to hold people accountable. And I think one of the things that you mentioned in some sense is the discrepancy around how a Black man was treated versus how a white, and I was going to call him a man, he's 17, he's not even a man, but how a 17-year-old boy is treated and the discrepancy that exists there by the exact same police department, right? And I think one of the things that's so striking about this is that it speaks to the systemic nature of what's going on that the same people, the same group of people treated one person so poorly and treated another person with such dignity and respect, even praise and appreciation, despite the fact that their actions would have actually called for probably the reverse. And so I think one of the things that we, that we wanna do here is think about how do we hold each other accountable. And one of the things that's really been troubling to me as a white person watching this is the injustice, right? There is no conceivable reason that someone should be shot in the back seven times for walking away, right? Perhaps the police officer was offended. Perhaps the police officer felt threatened. All of those things may have been true. I don't know. I wasn't there. But none of those things warrant 
being shot one time, nevertheless seven times. In addition, even then on the flip side, right, even if you feel like the protests are unwarranted, even if you feel like the protests are crossing a line into vandalism or robbery or any of those things, even if that's the way that you feel about this, going somewhere and deliberately killing someone because you think they've crossed the line is a problem. And it seems that we have glorified some people holding each other accountable, while on the other hand, we have vilified other people who are saying, we want to hold people accountable. Even when we get to that place of accountability, there's a discrepancy in who can or who is allowed to hold someone else accountable. Again, it just shows the systemic nature of the injustice of all of this. I mean, it's so crazy because like, in essence, what you're saying, which is totally true, is it seems to be not okay to protest, but it is okay to protest the protest. Yes. That's crazy making. And I remember, I remember the first time I realized the narrative around Black people. And this is why I think this conversation is important. And it's why solution-focused people need to be aware of this. I remember being in graduate school when Hurricane Katrina happened. And this was in like 2005. The internet obviously was a thing, but it wasn't what it is now. And that was around the time that all the news outlets like CNN and MSN and all these USA Today and all these things, they're putting their content on websites when that was kind of a new thing. And I remember coming home and a friend of mine telling me, you need to go look at like CNN.com. And I, I apologize if that's the wrong news outlet, but some news outlet, whatever one it was. And they showed a black man carrying bottled water over his head, walking through waist deep water. And the caption said, criminals looting in New Orleans. And then there was a white man carrying a case of soda over his head, wading through water saying, hero father finds drinks for his family. And it was like, whoa. And CNN got, or whichever news outlet, again, I apologize if it wasn't CNN. I, I don't remember which one it was. But the news outlet got significant backlash for it, and they had to remove the photos. But this is still currently what goes on. Like, they paint the Black people in as much of a negative light as possible for whatever reason. And I think why that's relevant is you have to be aware that part of what you're thinking about people that you interact with, including your clients, is based upon the narrative you have allowed yourself to be exposed to. And sometimes you have to provide your own counter story because maybe that black guy carrying the water bottle, maybe he was getting water for his family. Maybe he purchased that water. Maybe he found that water. You know what I mean? Like we have to be able to provide the counter story and listen to it. I'm perfectly willing to say maybe Jacob Blake was a bad guy. I don't know. I don't know him. But I'm not okay with you guys painting Jacob Blake as a bad guy while you refuse to listen to any details to the contrary about Kyle, whatever his last name is, who drove across state lines with a weapon. Like whatever you do with one, you have to do with the other. And to see it not happen is infuriating because people paint these pictures as if it's just like true. And as you know, it happens to me in this professional field where people are willing to believe anything that they hear about me. There was a guy named Plomin who posted on a public forum that Elliot mooned an audience. 
like literally moon, pull my butt out, moon, an audience at a conference. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, but Plamen believes it happened. I mean, he must, he heard it somewhere from someone somewhere, never happened. But people are willing to believe it because the black guy, it's really easy to believe a negative narrative. Whereas if someone were to say that about you, they'd be like, no, that Adam would never do that. But with Elliot, yeah, he would totally pull his ass out on, on, a, on a stage. Like it's asinine, it's maddening. And when you hear black people say we're exhausted, we're exhausted from defending ourselves and defending our positions all the time because it's nuts, it's just absolutely crazy. I think one of the other things that you commented on right at the beginning too is the professional organization, right? And you just kind of alluded to it again, but you and I are in the middle of a process with a professional organization where we're trying to look at discrimination. We're trying to look at what white supremacy is and how it has impacted even our associations and even our professional organizations. And one of the things that I think is astounding, and I think this is the hallmark of privilege, is in some sense the lack of engagement, right? We we started with a large group of people and through this process two-thirds of those people predominantly white people have either voluntarily withdrawn from the process or have failed to engage in the process simply due to inaction right and i think that in and of itself talks about how these ideas, how these concepts, how this life experience is hitting us as white people. We have the opportunity to simply withdraw, or we have the opportunity to not engage because we feel like it doesn't impact us or we don't need to understand. And I think if that level of disengagement, two thirds of a group of professionals who are committed to this kind of a thing, if two thirds of those people can simply not show up, imagine what that means in an everyday life situation where we see events like this, where we experience this happening to people that we know, people that we love, people that we respect, and the opportunity to simply not show up, to not engage in this process. And as I've been going through this process, I think, if we as white people don't show up for these conversations, the impact is then double on the people of color, right? They have to endure the first measure of atrocity, and then they have to experience, the, in some sense, the re-traumatization of the people who are supposed to be supporting me, even they can't show up. We're just adding layer upon layer of injustice. That is absolutely true. And I think the silence is more impactful even than the words that I'm hearing around the world and around these topics. And I don't know what to do with it, to be very honest, because as you were saying, you have the ability that you can choose to engage or not engage in these conversations and experience minimal consequences, where I don't. Like I'm black every single day. You know, I, I don't, I didn't ask this person to post a post about me doing this thing at a conference. Like, it just happens. And that sort of thing happens almost daily. Like, you wouldn't believe this stuff. My assistant is a white female, and she is appalled at the shit that shows up in my inbox. She is constantly like, what in the hell? 
did you see the email from so-and-so? So there are a team of like seven people that work for me. Like one woman, she's my assistant. She helps me with my calendar. She helps me with my email inbox. Another woman manages kind of the customer service aspects of things. And I found out about a week ago that they collude to work together to make sure I don't see some of the atrocious things that show up in my inbox. Um, and it's insane. It is crazy making. And the reason why, and I keep bringing this back to solution focus, the reason why this matters is imagine if I wasn't like the great Elliot Connie solution focused therapist. If I just showed up in a therapist's office with these biases that they're unaware of, what is the likelihood that I'm going to get fair and balanced clinical work? I'm probably going to experience subconscious discrimination from these people. And they would say they don't do it, but they do because they view me as like through this negative lens. Like if somebody did something bad to you, Ellie, you must have done something. And no, I didn't. I don't even know this plum in person at all. But if I tell someone that this happened, sometimes the response is stuff like, well, what did you do? Maybe I did nothing. <laughs> like maybe I did nothing except be black. And somehow that exposes me to levels of judgment that it does not expose to people like you. I think one of the other things that's really kind of coming up for me as we have this conversation is even the impact of this conversation, right? That in some sense, it does thinking about addressing white privilege or those kinds of things, it makes me feel uncomfortable, right? It makes me feel like in some sense, I'm taking a risk. I'm putting my name on something that I know people will disagree with. I know that people will have comments and feedback about that, frankly, I don't want to hear. So knowing that in advance is, I guess I would even go as far as to say, it's a scary prospect, right? To put yourself out there in this vulnerable way and say, this is what I think, this is what my experience is. If that's what's going on for me in this conversation, I can't imagine what this conversation must be like for you, right? The implications of having this kind of a conversation, trying to hold people accountable, the, the level of risk that you're taking to have this conversation is infinitely more than the level of risk that I'm taking to have this conversation. And I think sometimes we don't stop to think, how risky is this for the other person? Sometimes I think we just get paralyzed or debilitated by our own sense of unease. I guess I just wanna throw that out there and be like, I realize even in this conversation, you're probably having a different experience than I'm having of this conversation. Yeah, because I think there is. I mean, it's, it, I think you're accurate to point out that there's levels of risk. Colin Kaepernick, right? So I, mean, I don't mean to compare myself to Colin Kaepernick, but he simply said, I want to draw attention to police brutality, and he never played football again. There is risk to like holding people accountable. Mm -hmm. But on some level, I think it's important. And I'm not, I mean, people can listen to this podcast and they can have whatever thoughts they want to have. I'm not insulting anybody. I haven't said anything insulting about anybody except to say systemic racism is real and we should do something about it. I don't even know what that thing is, except to say, it's not helpful to shy away from the conversation. And in my particular case, it is physically risky for me to, to, to not acknowledge the reality that systemic racism is real, because I could get pulled over and be never seen again. That is, that is a reality of my life. And yep, I got degrees and I have financial means and I have 
professional status and all those things. But the police officer pulling me over doesn't know that. Before I'm anything else, I'm a black man. And that's also true in the professional space. And it's also true if I were to walk into a counselor's office. Before I'm anything else, I'm identifiable by these overt measures. And we have to be aware of what that does and what that means. And we have to be able to counter it on some level. I think one of the things that in essence that you're advocating that you're saying without kind of overtly saying it is we each need to just take a pause right in any interaction that we're having we we inevitably will notice those things that are that are outward appearances um so i don't hear you saying like stop seeing me as a black man because in some sense i think that's impossible but i think in some sense what you are saying is take a moment and find out what else I am in addition to being a black man. And I think that that goes across the board. I think in solution-focused therapy, I think that's a fundamental principle that this approach is built on is we need to know the essence of someone. We need to know who they see themselves as, what they value, And then we need to talk to that valuable person. And I think in some sense, it goes outside of the therapy room, probably even more so than in the therapy room, or at least equally as important in the therapy room. But outside of the therapy room, when we we encounter someone, whether it's a Jacob Blake or whether it's a, you know, whoever else, we pause and we say, I have some initial impressions of you. I want to know what else there is besides those initial impressions. Maybe my initial impressions are right. Maybe my initial impressions are wrong. But if we don't take that time, we have no idea. And then we're simply acting on what we assume about other people. Which can absolutely do more harm than good. Like we have to take the time to say, I'm having an initial response. And perhaps that initial response is not congruent to the person that is sitting in front of me. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that initial response says something more about me than it does about the person I'm sitting across from. We have to also be willing to recognize that and to say, I'm having an initial response. What does that say about me? And the greatest gift you can give someone is the gift of holding positive thoughts about them. Even if those positive thoughts are completely validated even if those positive thoughts are completely supported by whatever is going on, you might be the first person to ever view them as competent and capable. Yeah. And that's the gift you can give to them. Like maybe the person is a bad doer and maybe the person has done things, whatever, but you may be the very first person that helps them change the way they see things and change the way they do things. And in that case, Not only do you impact their lives, but if there's someone who does really bad things, but you stop future victims from experiencing this person in a bad way. And I think that's a wonderful thing to do. I think that's a fantastic thing to do, to see someone for their potential and not their flaws, because you may change how they live their life going forward. We also have to think, you know, you and I both come from a background of systemic training, right? Thinking about people within the system within which they function. And predominantly we look at family systems, right? And you you think if you take that time to say, 
what are my initial impressions? Is there something beyond that? Or not even is there something, but what is beyond that initial perception? You also begin to treat them like a father. You begin to treat them like a brother. You begin to treat them like a son. You also are impacting then their children, their siblings, their parents. If because you take the time to see them beyond what is initially present, then they start to also see themselves in that way. And they start interacting with all of the people in their lives from a place of goodness. So one interaction that you and I have with a client or with any other person in the world has a ripple effect that we really do impact more than just the one person. We impact the people who are important to them as well. You know, and so I will close by saying my life was changed by somebody who saw me that way. When I got to college, I was, I was often treated as like, you know, you don't actually belong here. You're just good at sports. And I had a psychology professor pull me aside and say, I think you would be a brilliant clinician. Have you ever thought becoming an LPC, which I now know means licensed professional counselor, but at the time I had no idea. And I said, no. And she said, you'd be a very good psychotherapist. And I remember walking away from that conversation thinking, what on earth does she see in me that makes her think that? Like, it was one of the first times in my life I'd received like an academic compliment. You know what I mean? Like someone complimenting my acumen as a student in the collegiate way. And it completely changed the way I saw myself. The very next semester, I got a 4.0. Later on, obviously, I went to graduate school and I now write books and travel the world teaching or whatever. I'm not sure any of that would have happened had she not said that. That was a meaningful moment in my life. And when you can walk around in the world and view people in a positive light, regardless of your initial biases when you met and or saw them in a very real, tangible, measurable way, you're potentially changing and saving lives. It's just, we kind of let our biases go unchecked and run amok. And it's something that I think, I think we can and we should address. And I think we'll be better for it when we do. I'm just thinking, you know, we end each of these podcasts usually with a challenge. And as you were talking, one of the things that I think would be a really meaningful challenge for people is to find somebody who you initially have a reaction to and then simply have a conversation with that person. Find what is beyond that, that you can value, that you can respect, that you can appreciate And then I would say also think one step even beyond that and find out who else in their life might also value or respect or love that about them. I think if we each tried to just get to know one more person on that level, it would be good practice for being able to do that with everyone that we encounter. And I think you'll learn something about yourselves. You not just learn something about other people in other cultures, but you'll learn something about you that is valuable, worthwhile, and will probably serve you well as well. Thank you for uh, listening to this episode of the podcast. And for the sake of our next episode, I swear I hope someone steals a giraffe from the Dallas Dallas Zoo. (laughs) Somebody steals a giraffe from the Dallas Zoo at this point. The authorities are coming to look at you to be like, set this up. I'm basically saying 
I would love for the current events to like, but we're gonna keep doing it because it's relevant and it matters. But it'd be pretty cool if someone like, you know, jumped out of a moving airplane or something or whatever the case may be. And we can have a conversation about that. I think the world is made better by diverse conversations and by really smart, integral people going into difficult spaces. So we hope we can do that. So thank you for listening.